trained you guys that if you don't give a good response, I ask for a second one. And so um, we're going to go to scripture. Uh, as Pastor Denise shared, we're continuing a sermon series that we began last week. The title of the sermon series is, comes from an African proverb. The title is Sankofa. And it's this idea that's derived from this proverb that talks about a bird. And this bird was leaving its village, but on its way away from its village, it got lost. And so in order to find its way, it had to come back to its village. And they capture this idea of returning in order to move forward by this image of a bird that is looking backwards while it's moving forward. It's a strange image, but what it conveys is that this idea that often we can't move forward until we recover the past, until we understand where we've come from. And why we're calling this series Sankofa is because when it comes to this idea of spiritual disciplines, very much so, we as people who follow Jesus are in need of recovering things that have long been our, in our tradition. The things that we're talking about, whether it's fasting, uh, what we're going to talk about today, these are not new and like modern ideas. Actually, they're ancient. They've been in the lifeblood of people that have been following the way of Jesus since the very beginning. And yet in our modern times, we've divorced ourselves from some of these practices. My prayer, our prayer during this series is that we recover these things, that we return back to the way that has been established in order for us to move forward. And today we're going to talk about something, a spiritual discipline, a practice, a call to obedience that I will confess is incredibly difficult for me. And so I ask for your prayers. I want to, I want to preach this as sincerely, as truthful as possible. Um, this is probably one of my biggest struggles, what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go to scripture. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. We're going to talk today about Sabbath. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to gather with your people, to worship you, to seek you collectively. And thank you for the ways you're meeting us and speaking to us already. We pray, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with a sense of your presence. Teach us, speak to us from your word. Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus. Come, magnify Jesus. Give us hearts that understand the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Um, I remember a friend of mine who was a therapist, um, I got used to her uh, because at first she was very unsettling because um, when she first began her practice, she would just kind of like read people. And we're like, hey, let's just hang out. You know, don't diagnose us. Um, but I remember this one moment where she was, I was watching her talk with someone and she was 
keenly, intently listening. And afterwards, she said a phrase that I never forgot. She said, I'm trying to listen to understand who this person was pre-trauma. I thought that was a profound idea. Who, who, were, who, who are they before the trauma? And so in other words, who are they now in light of the trauma, but what was in place before the pain was introduced into their life? And, and why I begin there is because when it comes to our lives in our modern world, there is a traumatic moment that scripture talks about that theologians call the fall. And that's a moment in time in our human story where we chose to rebel against God, to push God out of the center of our lives, to exalt ourselves as God. And prior to that moment, life was a certain way. And since that moment, life is a very different way. And the scripture that we just read is pre-trauma, pre-fall. And what we capture when you look at Genesis chapter 1 and up until this moment, I have good news and maybe some troubling news, depending on how you're feeling about tomorrow. Tomorrow's Monday. Tomorrow you return to work. Um, some of you already got stiffed up. You're, you're, as soon as I said that word, your shoulders got a little tense. Um, here's the good news. I think it's good news, difficult news. Um, work existed before the fall. Did you know that? Some of you thought that your job was the result of sin. And so you thought, it, my, my office is the creation of little demons. No, work existed before the fall. One of the first things that Adam and Eve were given by God was a job, work. But what's also interesting is that if you, if you look at the, the flow of the story, Adam and Eve are created on the sixth day. They're the culmination, the height of God's creative work. And the very first thing they do on day one of their existence is to rest. That's profound. And so what we see in scripture is that work is not the result of sin. It's, it's pre-trauma. Work existed before the fall. Now, sin has perverted work in that we have a broken relationship with it. We can either be workaholics or we can find ourselves disengaged from work and maybe being tempted toward being lazy or idle. So we have a broken relationship with work, but work existed before the fall, and so did rest. The first act of obedience and I think we need to wrestle with this as New Yorkers. The first act of obedience that God calls Adam and Eve to was to rest, not work. Was to just be, to not produce, to not have to prove their worth by their activity, by their productivity. They, they weren't logging their efforts or cataloging or writing a report or this is what I've done. No, the first act of obedience they were called to was to rest. And as I shared, as I began, why this is a, a challenging topic to, to, for me to preach is because this is a topic in Scripture that I continue to wrestle with because I very much struggle with resting. 
How many workaholics or recovering workaholics are in the room? It's a struggle. And even if you're not tempted toward it, if we're honest, we live in a city that rewards it. That it's almost a badge of honor. Have you ever met people and the first thing is like, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Look at my schedule. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm so, oh, I'm so busy. It's, it's all, but, and you feel guilty not being busy, right? It's just like, hey, what are you doing? Nothing. Are you okay? You got a fever? What's wrong? Are you sick? You got to see a doctor? Like, what's going on? Like, it's, it's in the environment. Yet, if you look at creation, the created order, how God created the world, we see in the very first moments that work and Sabbath were there. Now, what does Sabbath mean? Let's go dig deeper. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Now, this is post-trauma. This is after the fall. We're reading from a passage of Scripture where God is giving his people what's known as the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, is a, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. If we look at the created order, what our world is built on, the foundation of our world is built on this rhythm of working six days, resting one. You know, not so, not, I, I'm, I'm struggling to remember off the top but there was a, uh, of my head, but there was a moment in the history of France where they advocated for a 10-day work week. I love your reaction. You're like, <gasps> and so a 10-day work week, uh, big surprise. It did not fly over well. Um, people resisted it. People said no. Um, it, and it, there's something about this rhythm that's built in that we work and we rest. We rest and we work. It's built in to, to the very fabric of creation, this rhythm of resting every seventh day. But imagine, at this moment that we just read in Exodus, the people of God have just been freed from slavery, from hundreds of years, 400, of working every single day. There were no days off for slaves. And yet, at this moment, God is establishing this covenant with them through the Ten Commandments and to former slaves who've been delivered from tireless toil, he tells them, you are being commanded to rest from your work. To people whose sole identity was to work, to accomplish something, he commands them to stop. And that's what the word Sabbath means, to stop, to cease. And so what, we are, what we're seeing in Scripture is that the created order calls us to stop, to cease from work, to rest, 
to honor God in this way, to recognize that every week there is a 24-hour period that is to be regarded as sacred, as holy, as set apart. And it's amazing, and if you look in the beginning, in the creation account, God not only blesses animals and blesses days and blesses creation moments, he blesses time. And he blesses this 24-hour period and said, this is holy. So it's not just a regular 24-hour period. In other words, a Sabbath is not just a day off. A Sabbath is regarding a 24-hour period as holy, as sacred, as what I do during this time frame is completely other. I'm not just putting up my feet for the sake of putting up my feet. I'm not just not working for the sake of not working. I am doing my, my ceasing, my stopping is all from the intent of regarding God, of centering myself on God, of, of being a person who is deeply rooted in worshiping God. And it's profound if you think about at this time in Exodus 20, they lived in a culture that taught people that if you want to meet a deity, if you want to encounter a God, you have to go to a sacred site, you have to go to a temple, and God reverses it and kind of turns that idea upside down and says, actually, if you want to meet me, you don't have to go to any sacred place. All you have to do is regard this 24-hour day this 24-hour period of time is holy. You have to set apart this time, recognize I've set apart this time and enter into it wherever you're at. Wherever you're at, you can practice the Sabbath. You don't have to go to a site, a holy place. This is a profound reordering of life that we're reading in Exodus 20 for God's people who came out of slavery but it also raises some questions for us. In my experience, Christians, we struggle with this concept for a lot of reasons. There's confusion as to what does it mean to practice the Sabbath? Do we have to practice the Sabbath? Um, it, it, is there legalism involved in it? Uh, what is it, like there's so many questions, so many struggles, and I think one of the things that comes up often is that we're actually asking the question, what is work? Because if on the Sabbath I'm supposed to cease from working, then we have to ask, what is work? And what's interesting about that question is that when we look at what Jesus did on Sabbath days, it actually makes that question even more interesting. Because it, Jesus was seen on the Sabbath day to heal people. He healed on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders of his day had huge issues with that. They, they absolutely fought him over the fact that on the Sabbath day, he was appearing to be working while he healed people. There's another instance where he ate grain and bread that was only supposed to be reserved for the priests, and they caught issue with that. Like, yeah, you're eating, you're feeding your disciples. You shouldn't be doing any of this stuff. Yet Jesus did some particular things on the Sabbath. And, and so the question that if, if Sabbath is to stop, the other question we have to wrestle with is what is work? And I think what we see in Scripture is that 
the tension that followed Jesus on these Sabbath days, when he was argued with, when he was threatened, his life was threatened on the Sabbath day, was that the religious leaders of his day focused on what you couldn't do on the Sabbath, while Jesus was focused on what you should do on the Sabbath, which is to do good as we honor God. And so the first, I think, thing that we have to settle with is that when it comes to the Sabbath, how we practice Sabbath as Christians, it's not a static idea of you just do nothing because Jesus did things on the Sabbath. The question is not whether you're doing nothing or doing something. The question is, why are you doing it? What is your intent? What is your motivation? How does this look like for us? Could you go on a hike during the Sabbath? Could you help someone move on the Sabbath? Now, for some folks, if you define that very statically, the answer is no. But what is your intention? What is your motivation? Could you go on a hike because on that hike, the hiking in nature helps you to worship God more? If that's the case, that sounds like something that you should do on the Sabbath because the intent for doing it is because it helps you to worship God. Could you serve on a, on a team on Sundays during the Sabbath? Again, if you're very strict and static on it, you say, I should do no work. But if the intent behind it is to worship God, then that's also permissible. Because it, it, have you ever seen like those um, travel suitcases where people just like put stamps and stickers on all the places they've been to? And so in many ways, our intent behind what we do on our Sabbath day is our attempt to say, I want to stamp this day as holy. I do these things on my Sabbath day because they help me to live into this idea that this day is consecrated to God. It's separate. It's different. What I do on this day is intentionally around the idea of worshiping God. And so you could do nothing on your Sabbath day, but if you're doing nothing from a, a different motivation other than worshiping God, you're probably not entering into Sabbath rest. Or on your Sabbath day, you could have a full day of doing various things, but yet because your heart motivation is, I do these things because they help me stamp this day as holy unto God, then you could be entering into Sabbath rest even though your day is full. So for Jesus, he defined the Sabbath in a very distinct way. It was, he wasn't focused on what he couldn't do. He was focused on why he was doing what he did on those days, to do good for the glory of God. Of God. So one question to ask as you're thinking as about planning your Sabbath day is to ask, is this activity motivated by worship or is there a different intent? Am I doing this on this day that I regard as holy, as separate to God, and is it intended to worship? Is it motivated by worship or is it motivated by fear or anxiety, whatever the case is, 
And if it's not motivated by worship, then that's something to process with the Lord. Why? Because on Sabbath, on the Sabbath, it wasn't just a day to just rest. It was a day to rest and worship. It was a day that you recognize as holy unto God that on that day you would stop, because that's what Sabbath means. You would intentionally choose to delight in God as you rested and as you worshiped. Do you know that for some of us, if you want to know what God, his command to you, for some of us it feels counterintuitive to think that God would be commanding us to rest because we think of God telling us to do things. That if he's not telling me what to do, then I must not be listening to him. But actually, one of the things that God is telling us to do from his word is to rest. Why is that important? For us to recognize that God is not just telling us to work, but he's equally telling us to rest is because until we learn to hear God telling us to rest, giving us permission, sanctifying rest, blessing rest, calling rest holy, you and I will perpetually feel guilty whenever we are doing nothing. And what happens when you feel that guilt? You'll just drum up more things to do, to keep busy in order to like prove your existence. God tells us to rest, and yet we fight this command tooth and nail. I think about bedtime every single night. If you have young kids, or if you remember when your kids were young, or if you know someone that lived through the trauma of parenting young kids... Bedtime rituals. And I look at my kids like, do you know what I would do (laughs) to have someone insist that I sleep? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. The love I would extend to that person. Like, wait, really? You want me to rest? Like, I I can almost tear up now as I'm thinking about it. Like, wait, you, 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 you want me to go to sleep now? You don't want me to do anything? Really? In a cozy bed, warm sheets, this is all you want from me? (laughs) And yet, they fight, and they come up with a thousand excuses. And the question during bedtime is, how many times are they going to come out of their room? And what's going to be the next thing? And, I mean, some funny stuff comes out, you know, just like, my throat is scratchy. (laughs) It was like, but you just drank water. The water was dry, you know, like it's... (laughs) I've heard it all. The the truth is we don't stop fighting the invitation to rest when we grow older. It just becomes more complicated and sophisticated, but we still do the same thing. We resist, we fight. God is inviting us into more than just a weekly day off. He's inviting us into a Sabbath to rest, to worship, to delight, to stop. And for me, as I shared earlier, this is one of my biggest struggles, has been, 
my poor wife has had to deal with me struggling with being a workaholic since the day we met. And one of my struggles is I could always justify why I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm typically doing stuff that's either for the church or for my family. Somehow it's all connected. Like, well, I can't stop hustling now because I'm thinking about tomorrow. I got to do this. And so this is for you guys. And it may very well be for them. And it may very well be for the church. But it doesn't change the fact that even God rested. And so what I've had to wrestle with is the fact that my refusal to rest consistently, to enter into Sabbath, has less to do with how important or or necessary my activities, and it has more to do with me being tempted to try to think that I can be like God. Who God, who does not need rest, rested. And when we who need rest don't rest, are you seeing the problem here? God, who did not need rest, entered into the Sabbath. We who need rest resist the Sabbath. Thus, the sickness that's inside, sins perverted our relationship to work, and we don't know how to rest well. You know what's interesting about the Ten Commandments when you look at all of the commandments there, Sabbath actually gives us a why. Like it says, you shall not murder, and it doesn't tell you why that's not a good, why it's a good idea to not murder. It doesn't tell you why it's a good idea to not lie. But God actually tells us why we should practice Sabbath. You know what's also interesting? If you look at the Ten Commandments, if we're talking about spiritual disciplines in this series, prayer doesn't make it on the Ten Commandments. Reading your Bible doesn't make it. We talked about fasting. Fasting doesn't make it. But Sabbath does. Sabbath is right there. God telling former slaves who found their sole identity in forced labor to rest. And for us, whose lives are very much defined by our work, what does it mean for God to tell us to rest, to observe this weekly call to stop, to delight, to rest, to worship? In a world that says you have no identity apart from what you do, that, you don't, that who are you if you're not accumulating more, if, you're, if your schedule isn't teeming with stuff, what the Sabbath becomes for us is an act of resistance. Every single week, you and I get to protest against the pressures of this world and say, I won't be defined by work alone. I won't be defined by what I do and what I produce. I'm actually going to be defined not by what I do, but whose I am, that I belong to God, that my life is tethered and centered in worshiping God. And so every time you and I resist the narrative of working nonstop and never resting, but actually say, no, I'm going to pause, I'm going to stop, and I'm going to engage in a day that's devoted to this practice of cultivating my heart in nearness and love toward God, 
you and I resist the pressure, the, the story that our world tries to tell us that unless you're doing something, you're not worth something. Sabbath is an act of resistance that you and I get to enter into. And it's a powerful act of resistance because it screams of the good news of Jesus. If the good news of Jesus is that you don't have to do anything to earn God's love, you don't have to perform in order to earn your seat at his table, that you are loved, that you are chosen, that you have been sought after, that he has come to you in redeeming love, and it's, it's irrespective of what you do, you don't have to earn this. There's a day that parallels that message very strongly, and it's the Sabbath. It's a day that says, you don't have to, you didn't have to work in order to earn this day. You know that God doesn't say you have to earn the Sabbath. You don't have to like kill yourself for six days and be like, I deserve this. No, it is for people that have incomplete task lists. It's, it's for people that didn't get to everything. It's for folks that feel like you're not measuring up. The Sabbath is a call that awaits us every single week to pause and to say, I'm yours. And I'm not defined by what I do. You're not measuring me in that way. The Sabbath very much screams the good news of Jesus. I love this quote by Walter Brueggemann, people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. There's something about planning your week around the intentional practice of one day, I'm gonna do nothing for the glory of God. That day, nothing. It makes you plan all six days differently. And so God invites us into this rest, but he leaves the application of what we do on that day very broad and provides lots of room for how we can apply it. In other words, rest looks different for all of us. The way I rest won't be the way you rest. And we have to celebrate the fact that rest looks different for all of us and we have room to figure that out. It took me a long time, I used to work seven days a week at my previous church. And now, I, I loved my previous church. It formed me, it shaped me. But that was something that I knew was not healthy about it. Um, and so I remember uh, ha actually having to fight to get Monday off. And it was an intense battle. And I literally just said, I'm not working tomorrow, period. But what do you mean? I'll talk to you Tuesday. That's what I mean. <laughs> and it was scary to actually step out and do that. But I reached a point where I was like, no, um, I have a family. I have young kids. Um, this isn't healthy. And sure enough, it was amazing. A few weeks later, 
Everybody else on staff started practicing Sabbath. <laughs> so, hey, you know what? The church is still functioning Monday off. I was like, wow, okay. Whatever it takes. Um, but, you know, I, I, after taking Mondays off for a bit, when I first came to Hope Astoria, I used to take Mondays off. There was something that didn't feel quite right for me in that Sunday was a real intense day. And then I'd shut the engine off on Monday, and I'm like, I'm a mess. I'm tired. I'm groggy. And that's the day in that state I'm going to try to be present to God, um, present to my family. My family was getting crumbs up from me. I'm just like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, I'm just so tired. And so I was recognizing, like, this doesn't feel worshipful. This doesn't feel restful. doesn't feel like anybody's winning. And so I shifted my work week. And so my work week is from Sunday to Thursday. And so what I try to do is I try to make sure on the weekends that there's a day that I make room for soccer, for stuff with the kids, stuff that's needed at home, bills, et cetera. But then there's one day, and it floats. Sometimes it's Friday, sometimes it's Saturday, where there's one day where that day intentionally I am doing nothing. No emails, no nothing. And I'm telling you, my wife can attest, it's hard for me. Because I can always find something to do. There's always something that feels left undone. It's really hard. Yet, I can tell you when I have a successful Sabbath, I'm a different person. The rest of the week is amazing. Every other day is lived with greater intentionality. So what, what I found, I'm pretty boring. Um, but this is stuff that gives me rest. I like to watch documentaries. I like to plan to cook some type of an elaborate meal on Sabbath, something that takes time. It just relaxes me to kind of do stuff with my hands. I try to play uh, video games with uh, especially Michael because um, he's the one that really still wants to play video games. Luke, that... that Train has left the platform. Um, and if I can, I try to just get to bed as early as possible, just so I could get some rest. Naps, that's a thing of ancient history. I don't remember the last time I took a nap. Probably 13 years ago when Alexa was born. Um, that's some of the stuff I figured out. There's room for you to figure out what Sabbath looks like for you. There's been times during my Sabbath day where I led like a preaching training. I did it not so long ago. Uh, it was for like 30 pastors in the Dominican Republic over Zoom. It was super restful. Like, that sounds like work. No, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. That was not work for me. That was delight. I had a blast. There, there's, what, there's flexibility. There's room. Um, and so I, I don't want us to walk away thinking that Sabbath is the static thing the questions to ask is, what can I do during this day that tethers my heart strongly to God? And so for some folks, the reason why they serve on a Sunday is because that tethers their heart to God. For some folks, why they go on hikes, why they do all these sorts of things, that's what helps them to strengthen their communion with God. So the focus is not what you shouldn't do. The focus is on what you should do because you do those things from the intent of these activities help me to worship. 
They bring me to a place of rest. Why are we talking about this in this series? Because this is a discipline, a practice that we desperately need to recover. In my experience, you can't violate the Sabbath for too long without repercussions. It will catch up to you. And what a lot of times, if you're like me, what a lot of folks tend to do is they almost like, there's that vacation will fix it all syndrome. You ever, you, that's very prevalent in our country. You work hard, you work, you don't have any boundaries, you, you don't rest enough, but you know, that week and a half, that week, whatever, that's gonna solve it all, but it doesn't. What's the spiritual version of vacations will fix it all? The spiritual version is go to some prayer meetings, you know, just read some scripture, a lot of scripture here and there, and you know, I'm gonna go to extended worship and prayer a couple times this year, and you know, I'm gonna serve, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be in small group, and we do all these things thinking that that will somehow fix our continuous violation of the call to Sabbath, and it won't. There's something about you and I intentionally looking at our week and saying, I'm gonna honor God this day. That is transformative. My prayer, as the worship team comes forward, is that what would it look like for us as a community? I want you to imagine. What would it look like for us as a church to collectively honor this invitation from God to rest, to worship him, to delight, to cease from what we're doing? Imagine us being the most rested people in New York. Imagine a community that's not defined by our, by our activity and our productivity, but we, on a weekly basis, are powerfully reminded that it's not what I do that determines my value, that I serve a God who loves me so much that he calls me to rest, and when I rest, he showers me with his love when I'm doing nothing. The Sabbath is a weekly reminder of what the gospel declares to us, that God will love us, he will meet us, he will be kind toward us, his love will be extended toward us, even when we're not doing anything that we believe would merit that. Imagine if that shapes us. I picture a day in the future where we're hanging out together and we're able to help diagnose where we're at spiritually and say, hey, I think you need to practice Sabbath. It sounds like you're not resting. I picture a day where you and I won't boast like we te get tempted to boast in New York City with how busy we are, but actually we glory in how rested we are. Our city needs that. Our exhausted world needs that. A people who are not defined by the trappings of productivity, of exhaustion, but actually live into our belovedness in God by refusing that narrative that you have to work and produce in order to be loved. Could I invite us to stand? <laughs> Jesus, I know there's a lot for us to process 
This is not just a warm idea. We have to change things in our lives in order for us to practice this. And we need your help. We need you to speak. We need you to guide. So, Father, we invite you to reorient our lives in this way. We want to be a community that's tethered to your love powerfully, intentionally. So, Lord, meet us. Give us wisdom. Help us to obey this command to rest, to worship, to delight, to cease from what we're doing to the glory of God. Let's worship together.